Welcome to Riding the Waves of Life, a Boundary Family Services podcast. I think we're going to talk about the, um, I would say, the F words of anxiety All right. right now. Let's get into right? some fight, flight, freeze. Yes. Which I, I think, you know, when you talk to people about, especially with kids, it's like, well, tell me about anxiety. What do you know about anxiety? Freeze, fight or flight response is one of the first things that they mention. But yeah. I don't think we really highlight it or give it the emphasis that it deserves because people often talk about it as though it's like, well, these are potential options that I have or like, I, I'm a runner. Like I run right. away from You can from choose problems. out of them which one you're going to have. But in reality, yeah you don't really know which one you're going to have ever at any given time. Like, and for most people, we're actually moving through all of them in a hierarchical way. Just some people move through them quicker and some people stall out on other ones because Mm. all mammals have these same responses and they're all ways that we respond to stress. And essentially it's moving from least biological cost Cost to us to most potential biological cost to us. So, so if you think about, you know, a scenario with like, a rat in a room it cruises into the room and all of a sudden it like smells a cat or something yeah Uh, and the very first thing that it would do if it sensed a cat could be in the room is it would freeze Mm -hmm. and it would do that because it costs nothing it takes no energy there's no risk of harm if it just freezes right there's no there's no it's not like it's going to bump into anything freezing yeah uh And so it just stops. And the goal with having it stop is that, well, maybe this isn't going to be a problem. Like maybe it won't see me. Maybe this isn't a big deal at all. Right. And and humans do the exact same thing. Yes. uh, Typically when they first encounter stress, like, you know, imagine an eight-year-old getting ready for school. And the first thing you say is, Hey, I need you to put that down. We're going to be heading out the door and going to school. And what's the first thing that they do? Nothing, right? The first thing that they typically do (laughs) is they just keep kind of slowly doing what they're doing. Whatever they were doing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like their brain is saying, maybe this isn't going to be a yeah. problem if maybe I if I keep, keep playing with this Lego it. just slower than I was before <laughs> yeah They're not gonna notice they kind of look at you out of the side of their yeah. eye like is this a problem yeah um, <laughs> yeah and this is I mean you also see this like I see this with parents all the time say when we're talking about if I bring forward like a distressing mental health concern for their kids and say hey this is really a problem like that freeze response is kind of that response of like no that's I mean all teenagers go through that phase I went through that phase my friends went through that phase which is kind of maybe this isn't a problem guys right because there's no biological cost to doing nothing essentially right and then let's say that cat moves around the corner and is now looking at that rat and that rat's like oh oh crap it's seen me Mm -hmm. um it no longer is freezing the best option. It now needs to do something else. And so the next thing it's going to do, which is the least biological cost is it's going to say, how do I get out of this situation? Like where can I run? How can I escape from this thing? That's potentially a problem, right? Because if it, if it can run away, like there's still some risk to that. It's still going to cost some energy. It could get hurt fleeing, but it's certainly better than uh, the huge negative outcome of say getting eaten by a cat. And this would be, you know, when you, then approach your child again and they're like oh crap they're not letting Mm -hmm. this go uh and you're like hey uh i thought i asked you to put that down we are going to school in five minutes and typically what you'd get from a child in that moment is the just five more minutes can i just have five more minutes please just okay just just let me finish what i'm doing just no no just let me finish what i'm doing i just need to put this on this it'll just take a second please please yeah Um, right or just one more video game or whatever it is yeah. it's like that begging them well maybe maybe there's a way out of this right right and it takes a it's a little bit more risk to do that and th- this would be you know to to also continue the metaphor of the older parents this would be you know where they would say well you need to meet with them every week or how can you fix this what can we do to make this right so it's not a problem like how do we escape this being a problem can i send them yeah. somewhere is there- 
inpatient yeah. mental hospital we can send them. <laughs> it's that next kind of tier of it. Yeah. And then when that, if they're in a corner, like if that rat's in a corner and now that mm-hmm. cat's moving towards it and their brain's like, there's no way out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to move up that ladder again. Yeah. Uh, and the next step is going to be, I'm going to need to fight this thing. Right. Yeah. And, and this again is that anger response, yeah. right? Like this is where anger and anxiety are so close is, you know, if you now have approached your child and you're like, no, you have had time to finish what you're doing. We don't have any more time. I need your shoes on now. Yeah. Uh, like you are never going to get that response of like, oh, fair play. Like I tried. Yeah. Okay, let's go to school. Of course. Uh, you said that you did actually tell me multiple times. So yes, actually, I will put this down now. <laughs> it's thank, always thank you for caring about my yeah. outcomes yeah <laughs> I, every day every day i have to go to school i yeah. hate it i hate it so yeah. much my mm. backpack doesn't even fit and they're like throwing stuff around yeah. and like yeah. it, and it, it's such an interesting brain at that point that angry brain mm-hmm. uh, which is an anxiety brain especially in this metaphor that angry brain because when you think about what it does to a rat to allow it to fight and bite a cat like rats rats don't fight stuff like that's not what they're designed to do no but in that moment they have a brain that says you need to hate everything about this thing and want to inflict harm on it which you know if you watch kids in that moment where they're now pushed uh, to do something that they're afraid of doing or that they didn't want to do they'll go to that place where now everything gets viewed through that lens like their Mm -hmm. stupid boots or their stupid jacket or this everything's horrible sibling yeah yeah if, if you have to push a kid out the door and they have a sibling that they sometimes squabble with yeah. in the yeah. same mudroom as then it's you're creating a nightmare because of course that kid's going to push the other kids and the other kid's going to get mad yeah uh, and, and all related to kind of the way that that yeah. brain works and so it, it's really hard to talk about anxiety without talking about anger because it is that fight mm-hmm. system yeah right? which which is really important like if if they're being potentially assaulted they need to be able to fight that person off at yes. some point i mean luckily we live in a world where it's pretty rare we're like thank goodness i had that fight response on me today but we did we have lived as as humans you know in the last 125,000 years or so while we've had this brain in a number of different scenarios where having that part of the brain on on red alert most of the time was pretty important to get. It was pretty helpful. Yeah. yeah, I remind my son about well, you know, when we lived in caves and communities and caves, and there was wild animals, and you had to be aware that there could be wild animals coming that could come and take your children or you. <laughs> you needed this anxiety yeah. to tell you that you're going to survive. Yeah, and if you if you heard a twig snapping in the night, uh, yeah. your brain would wake you up pretty quick and go, "Oh crud, what was that?" Yeah, uh, much like you know the sound of the heater turning on and it makes a creak noise, and their brain yeah. all of a sudden wakes up because it's still got this, you know, hundred and twenty five thousand yeah. year old brain exactly. uh, that's doing a smart thing and saying, "Whoa, what was that?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could have hurt us even like a hundred or hundred and fifty years ago. There were a lot more things at night that could have mm-hmm. hurt us, right? Yeah, exactly so you know it's it's there for a reason yeah i like the rat and cat analogy that really explains like and then attaching it to a child trying you're trying to get a kid ready to go to school that really doesn't want to go i think that's important for parents to make that connection because so many times you feel like they're you know parents fall into the cycle of they're just making us late like why are they doing this on purpose but in reality, it, it is the anxiety and they don't really have control of that at all. And there's no you know, yeah, malicious yeah. intent involved. It's, it's that they just don't have control of that. And that's just what's happening. So recognizing it as an anxiety reflex, I think is really important. Yeah. And it's especially for, for young kids too. And we can, mm-hmm. cause we can put a lot of weight on that word anxiety sometimes and and we could say, well, I never realized they were so anxious of school, but you know, when we understand what it, child's brain looks like it's not necessarily that they have this big long-standing narrative about school being negative Mm -hmm. but rather they have this brain that's intensely in the moment and playing lego right now is really fun and they have a really hard time imagining what's coming next yeah certainly imagining what's coming next being better than what they're doing now and so sometimes 
you know, whether it's, you know, getting the kids out to the door to go on a walk outside or anything, mm. it's not so much that, and sometimes it is, but often it's not what they're doing uh, or what they're going to be transitioning to do is something that they're terrified of, but it's more just moving from something that's predictable and comfortable and they're already enjoying. Yeah. Uh, brings up that anxiety for them because you you're gonna make me stop doing this thing but I but I'm fully living through my Lego characters in this moment you don't understand (laughs) I've I've set them up in this broad array which is telling this complex narrative I have and you're not letting me finish it yeah and to think about it that way yeah I would be frustrated too (laughs) yeah because yeah. I think we do sometimes put a little more weight. And, and I mean, the other time we often do that, I think, is like bedtime with kids. Mm. Um, oh, bedtime. And, yes. <laughs> because be- bedtime, you know, to be alone in the dark, mm-hmm. uh, all, all of a sudden that nervous system ramps up and kicks in. Yeah. Uh, a little bit more powerfully and so that heart rate speeds up like if you were mm-hmm. to measure their skin it would probably be a little bit hotter um, like their nervous system is responding to being alone in the dark as yeah. as it has for you know thousands of years because being alone in the dark just wasn't something humans did before no. like 150 all, years ago we always yeah they slept all slept together we all slept together the whole village slept together we were all you know family units all slept in the same area because they all needed to protect each other yeah which which i certainly think we can get to a place where we don't need that so this yeah. doesn't need to delve too deeply no. into co-sleeping some of the potential risks of that which are kid, kids sometimes not being able to learn or have the confidence yeah. to do it on their own but exactly but it's understandable that kids feel o- oh definitely uh, there was, going into it but yeah there's one speaker that put it in a really uh, great way in my mind was um she said, going to sleep is one of the biggest steps for kids because that's the longest time they're away from you in their day. Yeah. And so well, for, and them, it, for them, they're, you're, they're going, they're going to be away from you for, for quite a long period of time in their day. So to have them, you know, comfortably shut down and know that they're safe and all those things, it's, it, it takes a bit of time. Sleep is another topic that I, I speak on and absolutely mm-hmm. love, especially sleep in childhood, because it's, you know, to, to think of, you know, our humans devoting, you know, on average eight hours a night to this period of time where you're incredibly vulnerable to yeah. the world around you, uh, to like where you can't defend yourself and the world just happens around you. Like if it weren't of vital importance, there's no way it would have lasted in humanity. Like if if it were, as a lot of people say, of like wasted time and like, well, I can get by on three hours of sleep and do these amazing things. Uh, if that were the case, human evolution smarter than that. And we just have carried on. Yeah. But the fact that humans still need to sleep eight hours a night and we we absolutely do i mean uh it seems like the bare minimum is is about seven hours but sleeping less than seven hours has such negative consequences and especially when when we talk about childhood but you know as kids are in that environment where they're starting to have that nervous system ramp up their brains moving through these different ways of organizing the world and it's also making guesses at why it feels that way and so this is why around bedtime sometimes kids will make these disclosures about things that they're terrified of yeah that you're like wait what like they're like I don't want to go to school tomorrow because so and so is always mean to me and you're like Mm -hmm. you've never mentioned that person being mean Mm -hmm. to you before and typically that's because you know the body's reacting so strongly to being in that situation that's kind of evolutionarily stressful and then the brain's making guesses at what's going on, which is something that our, our brains do. I mean, you know, a, a small example of it is, you know, if you think about how we sometimes relate to our partners, uh, if, if we've got like a lot of stress from the day and something comes up, it's so hard not to twist our brain and be like, I'm mad because you told me this thing. And then later right. on, when you're looking at it, you're like, hmm, maybe it wasn't so much that thing. Yeah. Maybe I was just really tired and or whatever <laughs> it was. Right. And sometimes it is. Yeah. I don't want to discredit the things, but kids certainly, you know, at bedtime, one of the strategies we'll talk about later, but parents often go down that rabbit hole at bedtime of trying to talk kids out of every potential fear they've ever had in their lives right? before bed. And it doesn't calm them down. They just keep no. circling and circling and circling because their brain is more guessing at the body, right? And the body, the body learns through experience. Definitely. Yeah. And that, and that cycle and the what ifs and all that stuff, but, but, but what if, but, but, but what if, and, and it doesn't stop. 
And then their poor little bodies yeah. get so tense. And then you're just like, oh. <laughs> I, would, I would love to meet the amazing parent that like found the bottom of the rabbit hole. Because I, I don't think I've ever met that parent yet who finally answered the last question to be asked for their child before <laughs> bedtime. Who, the, you know, the, the kid is like, but what about this? And the parent is like, and then we'll be under the tree and everyone will be happy. And the child will be like, oh. Of course. Yeah. Because I don't believe it's true. No. <laughs> I don't I don't believe happen. that ever happened. No. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's when it gets really deep and they're like, so when you die, I want to die with you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I get it. Oh sure. The, well, that's the other risk is I think sometimes as they're making those guesses, sometimes they'll create more fears for mm. themselves because all of a sudden start pairing these fears, right? Like it's yeah. it's easier to, you know, be respectful, let them know that how they yeah. view the world is important, yeah. but also be like, hey, I love you. You'll be okay. Uh, you'll be safe. I know this room's safe. Have a really good night. Yeah. <laughs> good night. Bye. Yeah. yeah. My poor Bye. son, he's like, it was a big thing one day. He had his science kit. And he mixed chem, like I told him, don't use it without me there. Okay. Like I just have to do this thing with your sister. I will be there, but I really want to make crystals. I know, I know, but like <laughs> patience. Okay. <laughs> so with his sister, then he comes in, he's like, so mom, I mixed this and this and this, and it's bubbling. And um, I thought that it would make this different kind of crystal. I'm like, you did what? Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and where is it oh it's in the kitchen okay and he's like what what is it mom because I I could see like it's, it's building right and I'm like well sometimes with chemicals you don't really want to mix them like they, they can all be safe on their own but when they're together you know might not be great can be kind of toxic so I'm going to stick it outside and that's all it took the rest of the day <laughs> we're all going to die from this toxic gas that he's created in the house no matter what we said, it didn't matter. We, yeah, were, yeah. We, we were, and then laying in bed at night, mom, I'm really worried that we'll not wake up tomorrow morning, that everybody will die from the toxic gas. And I know you've told me all the things and they all make sense, but I just, I can't stop thinking about that. We're just not going to wake up in the morning or only I will wake up in the morning and you guys will all be dead. And I'm like, wow, that must be really <laughs> scary. Like, that's a really yeah. scary thought. That must make you feel really horrible. It's like, yeah, it really does. I'm like, well, you said you already know that all oh, what we have told you makes sense. So I'm not going to go over it again, but I'm just going to let you know in my mind, I know that we are all safe and I will lay with you. But, and I'm sorry that you're feeling this so much because that must be really scary. Well, and I feel that nighttime, like the intense nighttime fear often kind of comes and goes through their childhood. Cause I know uh, like with my kids, we've had like four kind of these intense periods where we kind of have to re readjust them with whatever, however their brain's working now and the new fears they've come to understand or whatever it is and re-get them used to, to sleeping on their own and feeling safe with it. And, and you know, in those moments when you're like, please just go back to your bedroom, like it feels like it'll no. never end. <laughs> and then like months later, like it's, it's if you, as long as you stick to the plan and, and you yeah. can be consistent and help them like Alex Hanold climbing that yeah. multiple times, if you can just help them do that, then a few months later, you'll be like, was that ever a problem? My kids sleep great. Like it's funny, even as parents, how we have short memories with that. Do you remember the bear yes, metaphor? I love the bear metaphor. Yeah, I just think it's so important for parents and it's so, mm. so meaningful. So the bear metaphor comes from an experience I had in my early 20s where I was hiking with my dad and um, I was a, a little bit ahead of him on the trail and I came around the corner and, and about 25 or, or whatever feet in front of me was this huge sow grizzly bear. And then the, almost instantly when I saw her, she charged in and stopped a few feet from me. And so... <laughs> I, when I tell this, I ask people in the crowd to imagine. And so for those of you listening, imagine what it would feel like for you to be in that uh, moment to where you're sitting in front of this massive 
grizzly bear. And so imagine what would change uh, in your body. And for a lot of people, what you'd probably notice is that your heart rate would speed up, uh, your breathing would quicken and become more shallow, your fine motor coordination uh, would probably dramatically shift in that moment. In that, like, if somebody very strangely were to be like, wow, we're standing in front of a bear. This is an amazing experience. I need you to draw a picture of this for me. To which you'd probably be like, that's a super weird request. But if you were to try to draw that picture, it would be horrible, right? Like anyone who's ever tried to play an instrument in front of a group uh, without having practiced playing that instrument in front of a group knows exactly what I'm talking about because it feels (laughs) like your hands are cement blocks, like your coordination in moments where you're overwhelmed dramatically uh, starts to fail on you where your gross motor capacity really increases right like Mm -hmm. these are these moments where like a a mother can throw a car off of a child because all of a sudden they're super strong Mm -hmm. Uh, and so huge changes in the body some people feel really sick to their stomach some people vomit Uh, some people feel like they need to pee some people do pee Uh, And all of these uh, happen in a moment like that, in a lot of moments in our life, because it's trying to change your body to allow you to do something differently, which in this case would be to do those F words, essentially. So to typically give you the strengths to be either able to escape from that bear or to fight that bear. Uh, And so this is why, you know, the first thing that would probably shift would be your heart rate and then your breathing. So your breathing would move really shallow in your chest and this would help you to redistribute blood. So it would pump blood out to the extremities, which would allow, you know, your arms and legs to feel stronger. This is also why some people feel really clammy in their palms or uh, really tingly or warm in their extremities sometimes too. And that's because that blood is redistributing itself. This is also why some people feel a little bit dizzy and it's sometimes because there's a movement of blood from the brain down to these major muscle groups, Mm -hmm. which can make you feel a little dizzy and in extreme cases make you pass out. That feeling of nausea, uh, that feeling of needing to pee is all because essentially in that moment, your brain's like, let's shut down all the parts of the body and processes that we don't necessarily need right now or are going to get in the way of us having energy to fight or get away from this bear. So it's that shutting down that makes our stomach feel gurgly or makes us want to vomit or makes us want to pee. And so you have all those changes in the body. Uh, It feels super uncomfortable, but your brain also changes in those moments. So still imagining you're standing in front of the bear and imagine what it would feel like to happen to have somebody who you're hiking with and in that moment wants to be really helpful to you and so starts asking you questions like well Sean can you tell me what it is that you're afraid of right now Uh, or what is it about the bear that you're finding overwhelming Uh, and in that moment where you're staring at the bear it would probably be really hard for you to give a clear answer about exactly what it is you're afraid of. And in fact, you'd probably feel really irritated and frustrated with them. Like imagine right now for anybody listening, how you'd feel or how you would respond if you're staring at this bear uh, and somebody starts asking you, can you tell me what it is you're afraid of? Like what you'd probably do is just really quickly tell them to shut up or, or you'd yes. say something really blunt, like <laughs> just stop, stop talking. I need you to just stop talking, right? Because we'd in that moment feel really annoyed by them. So I think this is a really good example for parents to keep in mind because oftentimes when kids are totally overwhelmed and really at that uh, final step, especially in that fight place, but also sometimes as we're moving towards it, and when we're asking them, like, well, you need to talk to me about what you're afraid of, uh, how are kids responding to us, right? And probably much like we'd respond to somebody else if we were standing in front of a, a bear. And, and, you know, let's imagine that this person that you're hiking with is like, well, somebody really needs a hug right now. And they reach in to try to give you a hug. In that moment, like you'd probably push them away and you'd be like, get away from me. Because anything mm-hmm. that gets in your way in that moment when you're overwhelmed feels like a threat because your body's oriented to move and it's oriented to fight and it's oriented to do these things. And now that other person's getting in the way. And this happens because the brain in that moment is really focused on keeping us alive. And so we don't have a lot of energy or processing capacity uh, for language. Uh, And language actually starts to feel overwhelming pretty quick uh, when somebody is in that hyper aroused state. And so this is why when kids are totally overwhelmed, uh, 
sometimes by talking more, which I know is, as adults is how we communicate that the world's safe. It's how we communicate that we love them. But in those moments that they're overwhelmed, it can sometimes make things a lot worse. And this also ties into that talking kids out of their fears sometimes, and especially when they're overwhelmed. Trying to talk a kid out of their fear when they're overwhelmed just doesn't work, much like it wouldn't work if somebody tried to talk you out of your fear while you were, as a grown adult, staring at a bear, you'd probably respond the same way that your kids do to you. And it it leads to these crazy scenarios, right? Like you can imagine, you know, hiking with that friend and you're like, just, I just need you to shut up. Uh, And then they'd probably respond with something like, uh, well, you can't talk to me like that, Sean. Like that was super rude. Uh, How about this? How about keep talking to me like that? I'm never going to hike with you again. Your brain actually believes that in the moment because it's trying to repel them because it's, it genuinely feels that way of like, I hate this person right now. Mm. Like, gosh, get out of my space. And kids do the same thing, I think, to us in those moments of, oh, oh just leave me alone. Oh, just they get definitely. out of here. Yeah. And and sometimes Stop their talking. method Be of quiet. repelling you. Yeah. Or they'll they'll try to hurt you, yeah. right? Like they'll try to hurt you with their words and they'll be like, I hate you so much. I've yeah. always hated you. Or they'll say these really bold things. You never do anything trying. that I like. You're always bad. Yeah, yeah, all the things. Oh, and and you yeah. know, as as parents, you're like, What? I just spent all last night looking for a new mm-hmm. jacket for you online. How can you yeah. say that? Like yeah. and we try to like rationally talk them out of it. But it wouldn't work when you're staring at a bear and it doesn't work with kids. And so I think it's a really good metaphor to put yourself in that place and imagine that scenario because it's a way of stepping into how do kids feel when they're overwhelmed? And a lot of the strategies that we're going to move into talking about, I think you can ask for all of those. How would you feel if you're staring at a bear, especially when we talk about the strategies uh, for kids who are overwhelmed and freaking out? Like how do Mm -hmm. we manage meltdowns, which tie into anxiety? Yeah. Because those are all directly like, what would you do if you were staring at a bear essentially to, mm-hmm. to help calm your system down? Then the other point to remember about the bear metaphor is um, so what happened with this scenario is that where I had originally seen the bear, two cubs ran across the trail and then this uh, sow spun around and followed the cubs into the bushes, just kind of leaving me there on the trail. And this happened at about 11 o'clock in the morning. And it wasn't till about three or four that afternoon, sitting with my dad in Banff, to where I fully felt that adrenaline leave my system, which, you know, anytime you go through these overwhelming experiences, there's almost a strange euphoric feeling when that does happen. And it's almost that moment where you can laugh about the experience Mm -hmm. when you can be like, oh, man, that was crazy. Before that, you you couldn't really laugh about it. And it took a long time to get to that place because, you know, this is one of the few experiences in my life where I was like, it is so big. Uh, I don't always had these fantasies as a kid because I spent a lot of time in the Rockies where I was like, oh, if I ever get attacked by a bear, I'll climb a tree. And then while right. I'm climbing the tree, I'll be able to kick it while doing this. But, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, staring at a grizzly bear, you're like, wow, there's nothing I can do here. And from what I'm guessing about grizzly bears charging people, I don't think I'm going to make it out of this one no. alive is, is kind of what I thought in that moment. And so my nervous system was pretty shot. Yeah. And so it took a number of hours before this physiological change that happened related to the stress, because this is an important thing to understand about anxiety is it's not just changing the way we think. The whole body shifts in moments of anxiety, mm-hmm. right? And that your heart rate speeds up, uh, stress hormones like cortisol are released into the bloodstream. And no matter what somebody says to you or what happens, it's not like all of a sudden your brain can just be like, oh yeah, we were totally wrong about that. And like all of those hormones get sucked back up and now you're back to normal. That's not how it works. And for kids, luckily, they seem to be able to move in and out of these fairly quickly a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I would say my son does a lot quicker than my daughter too yeah. sometimes where he can, he could like melt down and then within like 10 or 15 minutes be back uh, where my daughter's slow simmers maybe a little bit more. I don't, I'm not totally sure the gender differences, so I won't say anything. I'll just say out of my N of two, I think yeah. some kids seem to ramp up and calm down a little bit quicker, but either way it is going to require some time. And I think for parents, sometimes just slowing down and recognizing that because I know, you know, with the chaos of life and I think where anxiety is the most frustrating for us is when it like gets in the way of our schedules. Oh, I know. Especially when you're already late. (laughs) Oh, and having, I've had these discussions all the time and it goes both ways of like, Mm -hmm. You know, when it's something really important to me and, you know, my partner is just like, 
well, this isn't going to help us get there any faster. And it's so right. true. And with kids, it's like, I find myself often saying, it's like, I, I like based on how they're acting right now before the walk, like, I think if we keep pushing exactly the way we're pushing, it's actually going to take longer rather yeah. if we can take kind of 10 minutes and regroup mm-hmm. this and create some safety and settle this and then try again, we might have better luck with this being a successful outing, not filled with child yeah. hate. I remember from there's, them, a, not from us. there's a saying it was when, when kind of pertaining to that kind of situation, it was, you can either spend your time in frustration and anger with them, or you can spend the same amount of time in patience and understanding to get to the same goal, right? Depending on if you push it, you're going to end up spending the same amount of time being angry as if you had just been patient, you would have spent the same amount of time getting to the same goal. Yeah. And we can understand that from the nervous system scientific point of view too, of, you know, once somebody's system's overwhelmed, their system's overwhelmed. Yeah, like it's it. the blood's moved around, the hormones, the stress hormones are now flooded into the body. Uh, those stress hormones are the ones that's going to, um, give them this really narrow view of the world. Cause when somebody gets upset, all of a sudden everything else sucks Yeah, too, especially yeah. kids, right? This is that once they're upset, everything in the world yeah. is everything's horrible. And so yeah. taking that time to kind of sit with them, which, you know, we'll talk about. Um, so what can we do about it? Uh, the first thing is the basics around sleep, diet, and physical activity. These are so important as they relate to anxiety, especially sleep. Some crazy person was to ask me like, hey, Sean, can we create anxiety um, in this child? The first thing I would do is I would uh, limit their sleep. And if I limited their sleep and did nothing else, and this is for all children, you could probably create a clinical anxiety disorder within a couple of days. Wow. Uh, because this is how powerful sleep is. You, you can live for longer without food than you can live without, without sleep. sleep. Like the current, current world record for not sleeping is just over 11 days. And the Guinness Book of World Records doesn't accept any uh, sleep records anymore because it's so dangerous because of the huge impact it has on right. your brain. 11 days? Oh my 11 God. Days. I couldn't imagine not sleeping for 11 days. <laughs> that yeah, is it, just... I, it was a high school student, I think, who said it and it was in the 70s. Like it, that's an interesting one to read about too, uh, because they ended up doing okay. But there was somebody before them who previously held the record who did it for like a radio show contest. And there's all sorts of questions about this person before them because they kind of descended into serious lasting mental health problems, like delusions and hallucinations. Mm -hmm. But as it relates to sleep, like if we are not getting enough sleep, then the, the brain quite rightly says, I don't know if we have the energy to deal with all the things we need Mm. to deal with today. So we're just going to focus on the most important and the most important in evolutionary terms are typically things that could be potentially harmful. And so if you think about even as an adult times where you get a really horrible sleep, like your stresses just feel 10 Mm -hmm. times and you can't get them off your head, whether it's, you know, thinking about mortgages or whatever it is. And for kids, it's the same thing. If they're not sleeping now, all of a sudden that stress that they already felt of going to an overwhelming schools, because schools are chaotic. uh, And all all kids have, you know, quite rightly some anxiety going there because there's just so much going on at all times. Mm -hmm. And so if you take away sleep, it really, really impacts their anxiety in a negative way. So, you know, recommended sleep times for kids tend to range between eight and 11 hours, mm-hmm. uh, slightly decreasing as they get older. Uh, and all kids are going to have very different sleep patterns. I think the roughest sleep patterns for teenagers uh, are what we call a late chronotype, which is generally speaking, the population can d- be divided into three groups. So early chronotype, mid chronotype, and late chronotype, uh, which has this real evolutionary strength. It has to do with your time of bedtime or the time when, if you were to look at melatonin levels in the brain, which is this natural signal to tell your brain it's time to go to sleep, that every day at about the same time, your melatonin levels start to ramp up. And so for some people who are early chronotypes, that starts to happen a lot earlier. And adults, like an early chronotype would be, you know, starting to feel really sleepy at around nine or nine 30 or 10 right. is a really early chronotype. A mid chronotype would be like kind of 10 30 
to around midnight and then a late chronotype would be like midnight to two and I fall into the last group which has made some stuff easier in my life but a lot of things harder because the I world know. doesn't I've been falling okay. into that one in the past like year <laughs> and I'm like yeah. I don't know if this is working for me <laughs> no and it's so it's so tough and, the, and then the problem is because it's like it really is the way that people just have different brains that it's always a risk for me. Like it takes a lot of work to move that sleep time up to Mm -hmm. a healthy time. And then if I like let it go for like two days, it's going to make the next week difficult. And kids are the same. Like if you've got a late chronotype teen whose brain is going to be naturally like when they're older, a brain that's going to want to fall asleep at midnight or after or whatever. And then the other thing that happens with teenage sleep is that their sleep patterns shift back two hours. So there's this delayed circadian rhythm across all cultures. And so for these poor teens now, these are the kids who can stay up to like three or four in the morning and their brain's like, cool. But then they have to be at school at eight right and so then they've well then there's the families where their young children don't go to bed until like 10 o'clock at night and then those parents are stuck being like well do I stay up late so I have some time to myself but then wake up early in the morning oh it's so hard when you have a mixed like when you have that mixed match of chronotypes between parents and kids I think we'll be covered because my my partner has a very early chronotype and I have a very late chronotype there you go you guys can even each other out yeah that makes it easier both of my kids had had the same so it's been easy for them but I know lots of families that have all different types and it makes it really hard for the sleep pattern and for little kids their sleep patterns change so dramatically over time like over a short period of time it can be really hard to <laughs> to nail that down until yeah, they get so, a little bit older so the basics then that I tell people about sleep are the most important thing for sleep especially with adolescents but also with kids it's just pattern it's it's yeah. routine bedtime and that's for kids who struggle to fall asleep maintaining that routine over school holidays and weekends as well just because circadian rhythms so this time that the brain fires every mm-hmm. night it gets set sometimes by routine yeah. uh, and so if you can keep kids going to bed at the exact same time then you're going to get that melatonin spike and it's going to make it easier for them to fall asleep yeah. at that time and that's you know when kids come back from summer holidays those first two weeks can be so hard for them because it usually takes two or three weeks to set those rhythms yeah. I think yeah or with little kids little babies and little toddlers and preschoolers when you say go on vacation or you go to a family's house or whatever and then their sleep is all off then like all families are always like oh the days after we were on that vacation were hell because right you're trying to get them back on that rhythm again oh yeah yeah. yeah. And they're miserable and they just can't yeah. do it because sleep is so hard if, if, yeah. if all the parts don't click in. So the other thing I would say is, uh, and this is an important one with kids and anxiety, uh, is light in the room. The darker the room, the better the quality of sleep. So sleep isn't just you're awake or you're asleep. There are five phases of sleep. Uh, there's REM sleep and then four phases of non-REM sleep. And all of those phases are really important, especially for small kids, what we call phase three and phase four, deep sleep, because this is where a lot of neurogeneration happens. This is where a lot of brain growth happens is during this time of night. And if the room is too light, it makes it hard for kids to go into those deeper phases of sleep. So the quality of their sleep decreases and then the likelihood that they'll wake up throughout the night goes way up because if phase one and two sleep are kind of light sleep and as you're moving you go through about you know four whatever sleep cycles a night of going through Mm -hmm. all these phases and each time you kind of cycle back to phase one or phase two these are kind of the times when people tend to wake up right like at one or two in the morning if you're somebody who's going to wake up it's because you're coming close to being awake during this phase and for some people you just pop into wakefulness briefly or it happens again at like four in the morning or so and And if the room is bright then you're going to be like oh there's light and wake up yeah and well and and the brain will just it's just wiggling so much with anxiety that uh it's really hard right now to get them used to sleeping in a really dark room uh 
than if you are using like a nightlight or keeping the door open or whatever the kid's asking for to let them fall asleep with it, but then go in and either close the door or pull the nightlight out so that as they're getting those phases of sleep, they're able to do it in a darker environment, which is really important for their sleep. Temperature is really important for sleep because we learn to sleep in outdoor environments that got colder at night. Mm Uh, and so as the temperature dips, uh, it kind of tells our body, oh yeah, it's time to fall asleep. And so if kids are too warm, it's also hard for them to go into their right. deep phases of sleep. And so allowing them the flexibility with either their blankets or their sleep clothes to cool down a bit during mm-hmm. the night can be really helpful. So like these huge giant fleece unicorn onesies or whatever that <laughs> a, a kid will love to put on because they're so cozy and comfy yeah. to go to bed. Yeah. Sometimes can actually mess with the quality of sleep that they're getting. And, you know, the easiest way that like all humans cool down at night is by like flagging an arm out of the sheets or leg out of the sheets, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so like tucking the bed in too tight at the bottom or whatever, like leave it open so kids can flag out and cool themselves down and it'll help Mm -hmm. them get a bit of a better sleep and sometimes go to sleep a little easier too. I heard a room temperature of 19 degrees ish is is yeah more comfortable for sleep yeah like 18 and a half between 18 and 19 is kind of the what they're yeah. saying is ideal i'm sure again just like everything else every human is on a bit yeah. of a scale to what they feel comfortable with and everybody runs a little hotter and a little colder in their own bodies yeah. so being there's the ongoing that, joke about winter sleep where it's like you have the window cracked open but you have the fireplace cranking and you have your blanket but your feet are out <laughs> yeah the fans oh on. yeah it's a it's a constant game of like trying yeah. to regulate temperature <laughs> i feel like i have similar arguments with air conditioning yeah in the car <laughs> where it's like don't just put it on blaring hot we don't want it to be blaring hot put it on where we want it to eventually settle on please right <laughs> but for kids I think you know giving that opportunity and, and some kids are like like my son is I mean he runs so hot yes. like he's a kid that you could come in and it can be really cold and he'll just be like laying there in his underwear trying to yeah. cool down because that's just how his body works yeah uh, whereas other kids are really cold everybody's got a little bit different uh, yeah you know, metabolisms and the way that their body works. So just being aware of that, I think can help with sleep. As kids get older and grow out of naps, don't allow them to have naps, especially if they're having a hard time sleeping, because there's two major things that overlap to put people to sleep. So the first we already talked about is circadian rhythm. So this rise in melatonin at the same time every day. And melatonin is probably a word that the listeners are familiar with, because whenever kids struggle with sleep nowadays, the first thing that people tend to recommend is over-the-counter melatonin, which essentially boosts that circadian rhythm and that natural sleep pressure, which, yeah, historically, they used to think was related to lights, which is why there's these current huge arguments around blue lights around bedtime, because it's you know, it's exposure to blue lights is kind of telling the brain like, well, maybe we shouldn't be falling asleep right now. But they're also finding a stronger link actually to temperature too. uh, And those melatonin levels related to a drop in temperature. Uh, But the second thing that overlaps is something called sleep pressure. And so every moment you're awake, burning energy, chemical called adenosine is released in the body. And eventually this gets to the point where it overflows kind of. It's the easiest metaphor I can think for it. But this is when you start kind of yawning and closing your right. eyes is when you've got this buildup of adenosine, which is sleep pressure, which comes from burning energy throughout the day. And so the challenge with napping is that it resets that sleep pressure, which oh, for some okay. kids isn't a problem because their circadian rhythms are strong enough that they'll fall asleep anyways. Right. But for a kid who's having a hard time falling asleep, having that adenosine build up to a level that's kind of overflowing at the same time as that melatonin is the ideal way to fall asleep but other thing to keep in mind for this is caffeine especially Mm. as kids get older and for us as adults because caffeine is an adenosine blocker which is why we like it it cures the sleepiness by literally blocking that adenosine that's one of its right Um, interesting and yeah and so caffeine has about a seven and a half or so hour half-life meaning that if you're not careful you can have a something with caffeine in the afternoon and it still be active in your body after midnight uh, and blocking that sleep pressure. So something to pay attention to. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that makes total it, it sense. Also, yeah, and then the sleep pressure also is the biological argument for more activity throughout the day right. to help with sleep. Because the more activity, the more buildup of adenosine you get. Yeah. So, you know, th- those days where you 
you're out working really hard yeah uh, and just come home physically beat and start yawning at like seven or eight o'clock like that's yeah. that's adenosine really oh, okay magic. very cool no idea yeah, about so sleep is essential for helping kids with anxiety it's the first thing i ask about anytime i'm working with somebody on anxiety is what do sleep patterns look like what time are you trying to go to bed how long does it take you to fall asleep are you able to stay asleep for teenagers it's important to know that the ability to go to sleep becomes way harder for them and so the average time it takes teenagers to fall asleep so it's called sleep onset latency is between 30 and 90 minutes which is a oh, okay. long time for teenagers to be laying right. there in bed yeah with with younger kids it should be about 20 minutes but that's yeah that's a lot longer yeah it takes teenagers a lot longer and so yeah for teenagers essentially you're trying to set the stage for them to sleep and then sit in it and this is where they're like but i'm so bored can i they're just play on my be. phone for a little bit yeah you're supposed to be and eventually you you'll fall bored. asleep and eventually you'll get better at it yeah that's what my kids yeah, and, and whenever so, they're like but i can't fall asleep i'm always like i'm bored and i'm like that's the point so just lay in your boredom you'll eventually go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And for those teens who are really, really struggling or for those strange nights where kids just can't fall asleep, we also then say, uh, if you haven't fallen asleep in about 20 minutes, yeah. get out of bed for five minutes, go do something calming, right. uh, like drawing or art or something, uh, working on a puzzle, just something really low stimulation and yeah. then go back to bed. And that, that goes back to the conditioning of the bed and the, and right using the bed as something that your brain pairs with falling asleep. This is also why for teenagers and even preteens only use the bed for sleep. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Don't yeah. use the bed to lay on in your teenage rat nest and just watch Netflix endlessly till your <laughs> eyes bleed or, or watch TikToks all night. Because if you're doing that, then your brain's saying, Oh, we're in bed. We should watch some TikToks. Yeah. That's what we do when we're in bed yeah. versus we're in bed time to fall asleep guys, which is what you want the brain. I've heard that with doing. little kids too. Just like with, they actually, they say that even for adults is your bed is for sleep to allow that to be your place where your brain goes, okay, we're going to shut down now. So they say that from little kids all the way up till adults is that just make sure your bed is your sleep area. Like don't have a TV in your bedroom. Don't have your phone by your bedside. Just your bed is your bed. And then yeah, diet, physical activity, uh, physical activity as it relates to anxiety, one, one for sleep, so important, but also for, you know, sleep or, or anxiety is this physiological process that involves like the speeding up of your heart rate, the speeding up of your nervous system, uh, arousal systems ramping up and then calming down. Physical activity is another place where the body learns to synchronize these and it, it gives you a better understanding of how your body works. And so physical activity can be a great way to help kids learn how to control and manage what's going on in their body. Uh, and so as it relates to anxiety, keeping kids physical can be really helpful in terms of them learning how to slow down a rapid heart rate right. uh, and manage it because there's a lot of stress that happens in, in activity and it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be traditional team sports. Those were never my favorite, but physical activity, a great way to keep kids oftentimes doing something that they enjoy for those that really like it. Some kids, it's a bit harder to drag them into these activities, right. but also really helpful for their anxiety. Diet is important to pay attention to, especially around, you know, high sugar, or high carb foods that, you know, right. especially teenagers are just so drawn to uh, because those are little energy packs. Oh, all um, kids are drawn to sugars and carbohydrates. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most, most humans are, right? Yeah, um, no, <laughs> it feels so but, good. You but get that sugar high. is, yeah. Yeah. And sugar is going to speed up the nervous system. Yeah. Right. And it's going to, yeah. it's going to increase kids uh, arousal from that base central nervous system arousal. And so if, if the kid's going into an activity that they already are going to have a lot of anxiety towards by uh, for them having those like high sugar foods right before that, it may make it more difficult for them because that arousal is going to be a little bit higher. It's going to give a yeah. bit more energy to that anxiety. So it's sometimes just being cautious of the timing of some of these things right. uh, can be really helpful. Like birthday parties. <laughs> like birthday parties. I mean, caffeine, caffeine, right, is a stimulant. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's essentially an anxiety starter kit for kids. I'm always amazed at, you know, the really anxious teenagers that I, I work with. Sometimes they're like, I gotta have my 
triple unicorn sparkle whatever from Starbucks uh, <laughs> before class and it's like but you're already anxious going to class yeah like you know what this does to your body right like mm. it is like you're like if you had a scale of one to ten of anxiety and going to school put you at a six having that beverage essentially puts you at a four so now you're going to be at a ten like that's yeah. just how it works it feeds that central nervous system arousal right and I did I you know, I skimmed past it this time, but when I talk about anxiety, usually I talk about arousal systems and how sometimes emotions typically refer to the direction of our energy, whereas arousal refers to the the intensity of that energy yeah. behind it. And whether it's positive or negative, speeding up that arousal system underneath of it is going to intensify the emotion experience. Whatever yeah. direction that uh, emotion takes them in, there can be all sorts of different intensity behind it. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody's, yeah, like you said, really excited at a birthday party, and now they're approaching something that makes them mad or sad or whatever, they're going to carry that intensity into whatever new emotional direction yeah. they're going. And I think parents have all seen this where kids are fighting and laughing and playing a video game and loving life and hyper-stimulated. Uh, and then all of a sudden they're not allowed to do whatever it is they wanted to do. And now they're freaking out and uh, at a level that you've never experienced before. This is digital media territory, right? Where yeah. really quickly, let's talk about that myth uh, of how digital media calms kids down. It doesn't, it always no. stimulates kids, even Minecraft, which I think is the most calming of all games that I think kids play. It's still stimulating. Uh, well, the second you kids, tell them to t- turn it off, like okay you have five minutes yeah. okay two minutes okay no it's time but i just want to do my one more day no it's time to no but i just want to no 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 this is so unfair <laughs> right oh, yeah. all all that arousal now directed at you yeah uh, and dinner yeah. which they don't want to eat or yeah or you know if they're at a if they're at a 10 on that uh hyper arousal scale from playing video games for an hour because it slowly ramped them up what you also notice in kids is when you're like well do something else do something else and like mm-hmm. play no. with play everything with your toys sucks. or read a book yeah no you don't have nope. anything there's nothing yeah. in this whole house and what, yeah. what they're really saying is there's nothing else that's going to match that intensity because yeah. yeah. that's what that's what you want is you want to transition into something that intensity and it, it it's funny like as, as adults, I think we can sometimes guess our arousal by the music we want to listen to. Right. Right. Because yeah. that can kind of be, we want music that kind of matches where we're at sometimes, which was maybe why teenagers just like love Eminem because he was so ramped up and angry. Yeah. Or Marilyn Manson yeah. or, you know, all those, <laughs> everything. Something heavy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you you rarely appreciate yeah, you rarely appreciate the Joni Mitchells of the world at 15 <laughs> or 16, right? I remember my parents making me listen to Lorena McKennett. And now as an adult, I'm like, mm, I actually don't mind her now. But back then I was like, oh. <laughs> Calm intensity that just speaks to everyone yeah. somehow. Yeah. I don't get it. Well, I do get it because I love them, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so number one, number one strategy for helping kids with anxiety is to help children face their fears. Never in the world has a child gotten over a fear without facing it. And then when we flip this, avoidance is the number one enemy mm-hmm. uh, to anxiety. Uh, mm-hmm. And I hear this all the time too of, well, well, I'll just, they've been so stressed lately, I'll just give them one day off school. Uh, And I think there are some circumstances where we can do that depending on how kids are doing. But for a child who's avoiding school, uh, giving them a day off school tends to actually increase that anxiety over time because the brain is saying, oh man, we can't do this thing. It's too overwhelming. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then you're like, hey, good news. You don't have to go today. And then the brain goes, oh man, this feels so much better. See how good it feels when we don't have to go to that thing. We were so right to be afraid of it because look how good we feel now. Uh, And then next time you have to approach it, that experience of anxiety is more intense. And so the thing we want to do is for those more progressive fears like social anxiety with teenagers or kids or separation anxiety when kids are young is we want to keep exposure to that fear fairly frequent. And we can, for kids who are totally overwhelmed, we can decrease the intensity of the fear in the moment. And so this is like a stepladder approach uh, or progressive approximations. 
the small steps on the rungs, like you come up with each step that your that your child wants to go through to get to their final goal. But the name of the game for that brain development, because this this is why we talk about brain development too, is because to overcome that fear, you have to walk that pathway. You have mm-hmm. to walk it over and over and over and over again. And so frequency becomes really important. And so yeah. I would say frequency is more important than intensity. And we used to say, you know, there's this type of exposure therapy called flooding in psychology where it's like, oh, you're afraid of snakes? Enjoy your time in the snake pit. Right. You're not scared of the yeah. snakes anymore, which, yeah. which works and it works quite powerfully. But, you know, there's also some other risks to that yeah. related to trauma it's and kids pretty intense. forever. Yeah, PTSD. Yeah. And- <laughs> Yeah, what like, but you would get over your fear of snakes, but now yeah. you'd just be terrified of your parents, maybe. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. What are they going to do next? I can't trust them anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's better like if we have a child who's terrified of say going to school, is get them to school, get them to school twice a day for for uh, less duration, but keep them doing that yeah. uh, pattern and then start building from that rather than like, oh, well, we'll just go Monday. That's not going to be great for right. anxiety. And if there's, if there's something like kids who are afraid of long car trips or mm-hmm. dogs, just one exposure to it here and there isn't really going to be enough to overcome right. it. So you really want to create a schedule to face that fear that includes frequent exposure. But again, lowering the intensity for, so, so for some kids for example like if it's like a fear of spiders or whatever uh, and you know having a fear of spiders is typically pretty healthy because there's some spiders that could do some serious damage to you but it's when it stops reason. them from yeah when it stops them from going outside and when it all of a sudden becomes a big issue and you need to face it uh, you can start with you know showing kids pictures of spiders showing right. kids videos of spiders getting kids to close their eyes and imagine spiders mm-hmm. getting kids to close their eyes and imagine spiders well you do kind of a spider type walking on their arm with it uh, you can do all sorts of stuff to work up to where you actually uh, you know, get them close to a spider that's in a jar or something. Yeah. Um, and you can build them up to that over time. You can usually do it pretty quickly. Uh, and and exactly like Alex Hanel did, where you just right. keep doing the level of the rung that they're at until their anxiety decreases. And then you move up a rung. What about kids who have like a more generalized anxiety? Like the anxieties just kind of pop in, like it's their anxieties coming up with reasons to be anxious all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think with kids like that, it's just then about promoting a healthy and just making sure they're doing the things that they need to do regularly, right? And right. letting them know that they can still feel those anxieties and that they can happen uh, and that they're not stupid for having those anxieties because they're usually is they're usually reasonable and that there's a good reason behind a lot of those fears, but that they can still get out and continue to do things that are rewarding. Uh, so right. just keeping on, keeping on. Yeah, knowing that you can kind of live in that anxiety, it's part of your life. And those thoughts are there and they're, they're valid in their own way, but they're not going to control what you do in your life and your yeah. daily. Yeah. And one important, one important way to understand that kids, especially around that generalized anxiety category, avoid uh, facing fears is through what we call accommodation or when parents make accommodations to manage that anxiety or help. Right help them with their anxiety and so with generalized anxiety what you'll often find is kids who are like they'll need to call their parent to check in around a certain thing and for parents to always take the call actually over time feeds that avoidance and it increases the frequency in which kids are going to want to make that call they're going to feel more Um, and more anxious yeah I know with my son him yeah him wanting to come to bed at five in the morning I, I said, no, like it broke my heart, but I was like, honey, I, you can't have me as your tool because you need that tool inside yourself. Cause you can't, you can't have yeah. tools that you are not part of you because they may go away. And so then you don't have yeah. that tool anymore and you're going to be way worse off. So sweetie, yes, I would love to have you in my bed, but you can't, because this is all about you. Okay, you need you need to find the strength inside of yourself to figure this out. And I'm 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 here to help, but I'm not your tool. And as a parent, that's so crushing because you just want to like embrace them and be like, everything will be just fine. But deep down, I know that that's not going to help him in the long run. <laughs> It'll just help oh, him. It feels, 
it feels so good too as as a parent and i think especially like this is this is one of those funny biological quirks to um with parental like neuroscience where that typical feminine release of hormones in the brain in early childhood is around calming like when you're able to calm your child and like look into their eyes like after they're feeding or meeting their needs there's this huge oxytocin release Mm -hmm. in the brain to where you're like oh man I love this kid so much right now sometimes you kind of long for that too and so in those moments where you're like oh I'm I'm calming them down and helping them it's incredibly rewarding yeah for a parent well and the guilt too of like am I wrong? Am I being harsh? And then I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> this is helpful. Yeah, to it, it kind of, it kind of flies in the face of biology a little yeah. bit, right? Which is why you kind of have that like internalized shame sometimes around yeah. it. it. And I say it's funny because this is actually an interesting gendered thing in the brain and that, you know, men have a similar oxytocin release. The, that's that huge bonding response of like, oh man, I love this kid so freaking much. But for men, what they find is that that oxytocin release is at times of shared exploration and excitement, which is right. why this is why like when a, when a dad sometimes is like running around in like a tickle fight, they're looking at you like, did you realize how rad this kid is? Like that's when their brain is like, <laughs> they're so awesome. Yeah. Or when you see dads, dads bonding over their new baby at a picnic, like they're rarely just sitting there cuddling they're usually like having a contest to see who can balance them right. on their hand yeah. or who can throw their child <laughs> in the air the most the things like doing the... tricks with the kid yeah. the moms are like no <laughs> which which is actually really fascinating when you look at it from an anxiety perspective because it's like this perfect biological system like when you think of it in attachment terms yeah. you've got this like innate neurological system that rewards one parent for calming and one parent for pushing the kid yeah. out and then I think as kids go through life like if you were to gender those and it's huge there's huge differences between how this is expressed within gender groups huge differences and some fascinating stuff when you look at like LGBT uh, Q2 spirit groups yeah. where that neurology carries into one of the partners like one one of like a lesbian couple uh will have a release and be more drawn to push the child in those moments because i think it is so imperative kind of biologically to have that like i'm gonna push them to experience the outside world and face their fears it's funny like it's this built-in exposure and calming system yeah it's a yin and a yang sort of idea of like having both sides of the coin So ends part two of our childhood anxiety series. I hope that you have enjoyed listening and I hope that you have gotten some wonderful information and tools that you can now take and use on yourself and with your family. Riding the Waves of Life is funded by the Public Health Agency of Canada and provided through Boundary Family Services. All equipment was funded by a grant from the Phoenix Foundation. Mm -hmm.